You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Awesome. You guys can grab a seat. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for the great opportunity to just to worship and connect with you. So Holy Spirit, we thank you for ministering to us and through us this morning through music. And Lord, as we come to your word and uh, hear testimonies today and just slow down for a moment, Lord, to uh, let your word minister to us. Uh, we invite you now, Lord, the very presence and power of Christ and to be radiating through this church. We love you and give you thanks. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Well, hey guys, my name is Ryan and I serve as the lead pastor for those of you that are new. Glad that you are with us. Um, a couple of things before we get started this morning. I'm excited. Um, we're going to be wrapping up this message series called It's All About Grace. Um, this morning's topic is about grace gives and how grace is the basis of giving and serving. Somebody asked me the other day, is it hard for you to teach messages about giving? And my response is no. If it's clearly in the Bible, it's good. You know, and so this morning, we're going to just see that. I'm going to tell you stories about how God's used generosity to uh, bless this church, to bless many people. Um, but we're going to wrap up the message series this morning. It's all about grace, and then we're going to take a little two-week break before we get into our Advent uh, kind of Christmas uh, uh, message series. Um, it's going to, that message series during the Christmas holiday season is going to be a real great message in Luke chapter 1 and 2 as we look at the boy who is called Lord, Jesus. Uh, so that'll be a wonderful teaching series. I'm really excited about preparing for that. But in the interim, I've got an annual commitment. I'm going back to Arkansas uh, this week, uh, 25, 30 years of an annual hunting trip uh, with my, my dad and my brothers. And so we're going to have kind of a two-week uh, little message series. I'm going to call it Voices of the Valley. Uh, so next weekend, I do not want you to miss it, uh, my, one of my favorite uh, pastors in the valley, a fun guy, uh, Tom Schrader, started East Valley Bible Church, will be here. You don't want to miss that guy. He's a riot, and we might have to censor the podcast when he's done preaching to you guys. Uh, he's a lot of fun. He's a, a really great man. Uh, he leads uh, as a part of the church now called Redemption. Uh, he'll be here next weekend. And uh, I'll be flying back in late the following week, and so, and I'm going to be uh, talking to our part, one of our partner churches in Little Rock called Fellowship Bible Church about ongoing partnerships with North Valley. I encourage you to pray for me in those meetings. And then uh, when I get back in town, though, I won't have the time to prep. So Mark Moore, a PhD New Testament professor, also uh, a teaching pastor at the small church down the road called CCV, is going to be here. And uh, he's going to be preaching. I'll be here that weekend as, uh, for sure, and I'll host the, 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 the morning together. But Voices of the Valley, um, as we have uh, uh, ongoingly, we've got a lot of partnerships with uh, just friendship, fi- some financial with churches and partners of, around the valley because the church is one big family. And uh, this is a smaller family of a, a lot of different families within the Phoenix Valley. So that's what's coming up over the next couple of weeks, and that'll give me the time to prep as well uh, for the uh, Christmas uh, series in Luke chapter 1 and 2, so you don't want to miss that season. It's going to be incredible. We'll unfold devotionals. We'll have a wonderful time leading up uh, to Christmas. 
So um, this morning, what I want to do is talk about uh, just the, the, how, uh, I'll tell you a story and show you some pictures about uh, baptisms. Um, recently, I got on the phone with uh, one of our supporters back in Little Rock. If, you, if you're new to the church, the church is about five years old. Uh, we had our first Sunday morning five years ago, and uh, you know we've seen a lot of people uh, make decisions for Christ and be baptized, and this is why um, when we started the church, we launched out, we had three guys, uh, Ian, Ian Thompson, Jonathan Seaborn, and myself came out and we kick-started this church and uh, really didn't know a single soul, moved out here, and we've had a, over 100 supporters giving faithfully for over five years so that we wouldn't have to take any money from the church, the people that were giving, and put it all back into ministry. And so we did that, and I was recently on the phone with uh, one of my old Sunday school teachers. Literally, this guy was my Sunday school teacher. So raise your hand if you're, you're a Sunday school teacher or have ever been one. Raise your hand. Come on. Sunday school teachers, raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Everybody else, give them a round of applause. Yeah. Listen, uh, dedicating time to instruct people in God's Word is incredible. It has a tremendous impact. My Sunday school teacher, Ed Knight, uh, was faithful to be my Sunday school teacher. I went through a long streak of rebellion, my more colorful years, and just kind of running away from God for a period of time. But I came back on those foundational truths that were taught in that Sunday school. And Ed Knight's been one of our key supporters. And I asked him the other day, I, he, he just finished off, and I asked him, why did you support North Valley so significantly? He said, one is, Ryan, I knew that when Fellowship Bible Church sent you guys out, that you guys were going to make a tremendous difference for Christ. And then I paused and I asked him, and I said, Ed, I have to ask you, do you, are you still faithful to give to your local church, though? And he said, absolutely. Everything I give to North Valley is above and beyond. Um, I got recently had the opportunity to share with them our grand opening update. We baptized uh, 20, I think it was 24, 25 folks, 25 of you guys. So I'm just so excited to see what God's been doing here in this church. I want to thank you for investing and giving generously, those of you that have been doing that. It, it's, it's what enables and empowers ministry. And it makes such a huge difference in the lives of people. So I want to thank you for doing that. And uh, can we just celebrate for a moment what God's done in seeing these pictures right here, seeing these families? Yeah. So I asked the question, what motivates us to give? A couple of things. Um, some of you are motivated to give generously uh, to God's work because of grace. You experience God's grace in your life, and you're like, you know what? I want, I, I want to give because I've experienced God's grace. Um, and that's a good reason. Uh, that's actually what we're going to be talking about this morning. And my concern is, is some of you are giving with the motivation because it's guilt. And that's not a good reason. It's not a good reason to give at all. I mean, if you've been a part of a dysfunctional church where the pastor puts hyper pressure on somebody to give, then you're giving reluctantly, and that's a violation of a biblical principle that you're to give cheerfully, willfully, voluntarily. Um, but some of you have been guilted into giving, and I'd caution you not to do that. Um, God doesn't want us to give like that. He wants us not to give out of the pressure of guilt, but he wants us to be motivated by God's grace. Some of you might say, well, I'm really not motivated by anything, by nothing. I'm not interested. 
Um, my encouragement to you is to circle one of those maybe sometime today or tomorrow as to what motivates you to be a generous person or a lack of. The, the point this morning I want to encourage you in is that God wants the motivation of our giving to be based on His grace. It's incredible linkage between God's grace and generosity. It is really, really crystal clear to me in the text that we're going to see this morning. I want to tell you a, a kind of a case study that we're going to be looking at in your Bibles, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7 is where we're going to be. Actually, this, this section of Scripture in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 is the longest uh, teaching in the New Testament on giving. In, in this section of these two chapters, chapter 8 and chapter 9, the Apostle Paul is calling for a hope offering, an offering to to help people that are in incredible need. And in those two chapters, it's continuous, where the Apostle Paul is urging churches to kind of come together for a great cause, uh, to relieve people that are in need in Jerusalem. And so in that, those two chapters, if you want to read those throughout the week, I'd encourage you to do that. But you're going to find kind of like the purpose of giving, the principles of giving, uh, some of the some of the important things in there in giving, some of the uh, things that we'll, we'll cover, the principles or the characteristics. But let me highlight to you kind of big picture of what's going on. There's really three churches that the Apostle Paul is alluding to in this section of Scripture as he's calling for this hope offering as an act of grace. There's the church in Jerusalem. And this takes place in 50, 55 A.D., uh, this is a couple decades after the time of Christ, and there is a great need in the city of Jerusalem. The Apostle Paul has been a recipient of God's grace, and he's traveling kind of throughout the region to help uh, uh, give doctrinal clarity, to build up the church, to help establish churches. And he's advocating on behalf of the great needs that are in Jerusalem. There'd been a famine, there'd been some struggles, some significant problems, and the Apostle Paul sees himself as like an ambassador, that he's going to rally on behalf of Jerusalem. And then there's the church in Corinth, and I would say this church is uh, more of a wealthy church. It's doing well. It was uh, a church that uh, was pretty influential. The Corinth, the city, was a port city along the Aegean and the Artiactic Sea was noted for its wealth. It had an outdoor amphitheater. Uh, 20,000 spectators could participate. It was kind of a, an important city. And the Apostle Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. There had been new believers there. He had planted the church on his second missionary journey. He had partnered up with uh, a husband and wife ministry team, Aquila and Priscilla. And the church is a pretty diverse congregation. And they're what, very interesting to me is and this area of the North Phoenix Valley has been called uh, by some demographers or people that study uh, demographics is uh, diverse, in, uh, diverse prosperity, like diverse and wealthy. And that's exactly what's going on in the church in Corinth. It's a wealthy, influential uh, church. Uh, the city has got all sorts of religious diversity, ethnic diversity. There's Greeks, Romans, Jews, Orientals. Uh, it's a bit of a melting pot uh, of practices of paganism, Judaism, uh, um, early Christianity at this time. There's the, the famous temple of Aphrodite where there'd be a thousand prostitutes. There was 
bars and brothels all around the marketplace. I mean, the gospel is penetrating culture and it's starting to change people's lives. People are getting baptized and and the Christians are, are taking root and the church is growing. And these people are leaving the old lifestyles and now Paul is challenging them on this area about being generous. Um, and then we're going to learn about the Macedonians. These are, uh, Macedonia was a Roman province in north of Greece. And uh, it's known, uh, Paul's going to call it like it's a church, it's a group of churches that were struggling with extreme poverty. So these are the three churches in the context that we'll be looking at this morning as kind of a case study to see how grace is directly tied to generosity. And the interesting thing is, is immediately you might think the most generous people would be the middle category, the church in Corinth, because they got a lot. Well, actually, it's the Macedonians. The Macedonians uh, is a group of churches, a church like in Philippi or Thessalonica, and they were struggling financially because they had become Christians and they had been persecuted and discriminated against and ostracized for their faith. And people had kind of uh, barred them from certain areas of employment or maybe the banks weren't giving them loans and they were struggling with financial hardship. A woman by the name of Lydia was an Italian uh, designer and she was there and she opened up her home and God started doing incredible work. So not everybody was poor in the Macedonian churches, but there was some persecution going on. And we're going to see this morning that the Apostle Paul is going to challenge this middle group, the church in Corinth, to be generous by giving towards the relief efforts for the church in Jerusalem. He uses the church in Macedonia as one example of God, uh, as, a, as an example, and God's grace is the ultimate example. So let's do this. Let's read uh, the passage, and then I'm going to walk through seven characteristics of what I call grace givers. Here we go. I'm going to move through this quickly. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this is not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in, in, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So he links up grace and generosity quite a bit. First characteristic of what I'm going to call a grace giver is grace givers are recipients of God's grace. They're just people that experience God's grace. So generosity and giving is tied to experiencing God's grace. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. These were the churches that, uh, church like in Philippi or in Thessalonica, and they're starting to experience God's grace. And these are the very churches that are struggling and they have hardships. Verse two, for in a severe test of affliction, the affliction is an incredible trial. What kind of affliction are you going through right now? These, these, these individuals are an incredible, severe test of affliction. Their abundance of joy. Look at that 
provocative language of comparing and contrasting. He says, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty. They have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. The people in Macedonia were recipients of God's grace. Their life had been changed. They had been baptized. Lydia had made a huge impact in their life. I mean, God was at work, and the church has taken off. And it's not an absence of trouble. It's, it's there. And as he makes his appeal for the church in Jerusalem, it's the Macedonians that rise up. Second characteristic of grace givers is don't allow hardships to diminish their happiness. Grace givers don't do that. They're going through a really hardship. But look what it says. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy. How many of you are really happy when you go through a severe test of affliction? That's not me. Apart from some supernatural work of God in my life. You know, when I'm on the, my, my bed in the hospital, uh, would never want this, but I have cancer and I'm dying and I say, God's still good in the midst of incredible hardship. See, those are the real tests of character. That's the real mark of deep woven into the heart and the soul of a being, a person, is when you're going through the hardship, how do you respond? The Bible says that the fruits of the Spirit, love, peace, patience, and joy, like, as we allow God's Spirit to work in us, when the pressures of life squeeze us, what comes out? Hopefully it's joy. Uh, so he says, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. It's like, man, how do, you, how do you do that? I think they knew what it's like to have very little. And when you're closer to the need, it's easier to understand the individual. Um, they know what it's like to be desperate. You know? They, they knew what it was like to be desperate. I, when I was, first became a Christian, I, I kind of came up with this phrase, and I would say the only appropriate state before God is a desperate one. And then I got stronger and more mature and I, maybe a little more prideful. And I thought, no, that's not true because I don't want to be desperate all the time. And then I come back to it and I think, shame on me for even thinking that. He's the king. I'm the servant. I need to be desperate before God. Um, grace givers don't allow hardships to diminish their happiness. They're going to keep on going. Number three, the third characteristic, grace givers give from a shortage rather than wait for a surplus. Ouch. This week, I got a phone call from one of my friends. He says, hey, we're adopting this little kiddo, and uh, we don't have enough money. We got hit by the hurricane in Florida. Would you pray about giving towards that opportunity? And here's what I said. I said, yeah, we'll look at our finances, and when something extra comes in, we'll really consider it. And then I read that text, and I was like, that's not, that's, not the, that's not what happened here. I was trying to wait for a surplus. Grace givers give from a shortage rather than uh, wait for a surplus. Look, look, the clarity of the text. For they gave according to their means. As I can, so that's biblical. According to your means. That's carried out throughout, uh, throughout the Scripture that you give according to your means. And, but he, he says, as I can testify and beyond their means. You ever seen anybody give incredibly beyond their means? I have. I'm a pastor, and it makes me really nervous. Because I think if they give and, and 
something bad happens to them, I feel bad. Um, according to one's means is regular giving. 1 Corinthians 16.2 talks about that. Beyond their means is sacrificial giving. There's this story in, in Mark chapter 12 where all these wealthy people are coming and they're giving a gift in the temple. Jesus is there. And then here's this poor little widow. Widows are socially powerless people in this society. And she has two little copper coins, which is a fraction of a penny. And she gives it. And Jesus calls over his disciples and says, see, this is basically the example. She's given, they gave out of their abundance. She gave all that she had. So this is that kind of thing. Oh my goodness, Lord Jesus, help me. I'm thinking like, I'm not there yet. I want to be there at one point in my life where I am even motivated by giving from a shortage than a surplus. There's been times in our life when I first became a Christian, I was not a giver. My wife was a giver. And she confronted me. And I was hired by a very large church and I made very little money and I was trying to provide for my, my wife. And uh, she challenged me. I was making like $25,000 a year. Try that. With a family and a little house. Thankfully, the mortgage payment was 400 bucks. It was a nice little college town. And uh, she challenged me to give. She said, even though you don't make a lot, Ryan, we should still give because it belongs to God. And I was angry at the church, actually, because I felt like I was worth double that. And uh, God taught me a lot about that season. Grace givers give from a shortage rather than wait for a surplus. Man, I hope that's true for us in the years ahead. Grace givers love to help those who need hope the most. Verse 4 says, They were begging us earnestly for the favor. That word favor is charis in the Greek. is for the grace. Everything's tied to grace. He says, for taking part, that, that word literally means like a partnership, like, a, like almost like a business transaction. They saw themselves as somehow tied to the Apostle Paul's mission that when Jerusalem would receive these funds and the poor and the needy would be helped and relieved, that the people in Macedonia were like, we're part of that. We're the ones, that we're, we're partnered with the Apostle Paul in this. That's exactly how Ed Knight saw himself. I you know, so I, every time we have anything incredible happen at North Valley, I take a picture and I send it to him. And I say, hey, here's what your partnership is accomplishing. There's no way we could do it without you. Thank you so much. It's the same way with you. When you, when you enter into a, a, a giving within the local church, it's a partnership in the gospel message. And so they say, look at this. They love to help those who need hope the most, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of saints. Over the last few years, we've opened up this offering called the Hope Offering. You'll hear about it uh, basically on Christmas Eve. The whole 100% of our uh, giving goes towards local and global missions. It makes up our annual missions, local and global outreach stuff. And it, goes, it's, it was motivated and born out of this kind of text in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Um, it's to give hope. It's to help. 
when you see those pictures of those baptisms, that's, that was possible because there was partnerships. People that had said, hey, I want to be a partner of that. We had 100 families at one time. They're all, now, I mean, praise God, guess what the great news is, is, is you guys are the 100 families. Like, all those supporters are gone now. Like, we, we, they, they've all finished their, their commitments and we're moving forward. And it's exciting and nerve-wracking all at the same time. I mean, we're covering our mortgage and it's like, oh my goodness, here we go. We're off. Fifth characteristics is grace givers understand their giving is to God first and foremost. Bible's good. I mean, when I read this thing and I unfold this thing, I'm like, man, this is just, this is like solid gold for us. He says, uh, the Apostle Paul says, verse 5, and this is not as we expected. Human response. Why are, why are, why are the poor people given? He says, it's not as we expected, but they gave themselves, and he clarifies, first to the Lord. So giving is like trusting God with it. It's like, um, it's an act to the Lord. I'm like, uh, I was born in 1978, and there's this song, and I don't want to sing it because I really sound bad. But it says, basically, the lyrics go, thank you for giving to the Lord. Some of you guys older, you're like, I know that song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tried to sing it. Hey, maybe you'll sing it a little bit later for me, my friend. Yeah. All right. All right. But I heard that song when I was younger, and I thought, yeah, thank you for giving to the Lord. You know, Jesus said, whatever you've done to one of these, you've done it unto me. So it's like, I, I'm just trying to help you. I'm trying to really shape your thinking and theology about everything in life that it really comes down to a few basic things. And when it comes to Christianity and knowing your heavenly father, it comes down to grace. Grace characterizes the whole thing of, of your Christian faith. Like, why, why do you give? Well, you give because you've experienced God's grace. If you think you're giving just because you're guilty, then I just say, God doesn't need your money. The church doesn't need your money. The church might need your money, but God doesn't need your money. But grace is the basis of everything. It's the basis of our service. It's the basis of our giving. It's the basis of everything. Number six, grace givers give to people in vision. That was one of the questions I asked uh, Dr. Knight as well. I said, why are you giving? And he says, because I trust you. And I trust the, the partners of the churches that have helped send you. And I love the vision. You guys are going to reach the North Valley for Jesus Christ. The people of Macedonia believed Paul. They believed Timothy. They believed that he really was separated and appointed by God as a sent leader by God to be an ambassador for the gospel message of Jesus Christ. They believed in his vision that the churches should go out and they should plant more churches and they should start going all throughout Europe and then all throughout the, the area and, and even to Spain. And they believed in that. And this is what he says. He clarifies to the church in Corinth, and this is not as we expected. They gave themselves first to the Lord, and then he says, and then by the will of God to us. When, you, when people give, they, they, a lot of times they'll give towards a vision, but at the, at the end of the day, there's some level of trust as well. 
that they're giving to, and they're trusting people. They're trusting people. It says, verse 6, accordingly, we urge Titus. Titus is going to be a, a great leader as well in organizing a church in Crete. Um, he's helping the Apostle Paul. He says that we urged Titus that as he started, so he should complete among you this act of grace, this collection, this hope offering. You know, so... It's interesting, I did a little research on uh, some of the most generous churches. What are some common characteristics of these churches? Here's what I learned is there's a commitment to reach unchurched people, to share about Jesus Christ. Um, generous churches or churches, and, and our church has been noted as a very generous churches among our networks, uh, among uh, the different churches in the valley. Um, I mean, we were able to acquire uh, and purchase a, a, the nine-acre campus within the first few years. I mean, give me a break. That's incredible. Um, why is that? Because we have a commitment just to reach the unchurched. Many of you are, I've, I've, I've talked to you. I was in my neighborhood group this week, and somebody came up to me and said, hey, I just want you to know, I don't come from a church background, and I just want to tell you that I, on, on Tuesday, I'm looking forward to Sunday. Like, I'm, I'm excited. My, things are starting to change. And I'm so appreciative of this church. Um, common commitment is the Bible, the authority of Scripture. We're hosting our first uh, conference event this uh, spring. I have the president of Denver Seminary, the president of Dallas Seminary, and the president of Phoenix Seminary coming, um, and a number of other influential voices of pastors in the valley and we're talking about unleashing God's word in a post-Christian nation. The importance of that. Um, common commitment is the Bible. Common commitment is just social justice, caring for orphans, caring for those in foster care, caring for the homeless. Churches that, that do these things, these are just kind of New Testament kind of things. They're more generously funded and fueled and more partners of ministry are involved. The seventh characteristic I want to point out is grace givers see giving as an oppor a growing opportunity. See, that's, that's, that's me. That's where I'm at. I see this as a, a growing opportunity. And I'm not there yet. I'm going to grow more there. And every time... I'm, I'm hesitant to raise any standard of living because every time I do, it, it can squish out any opportunity I have to give to my friend Lee who's getting a, a child and going to adopt that baby. I want to be a partner in that. Even, even if it's 25 bucks, I want to be a partner in that. Now that I said it, I got to do it, right? So you guys can ask me, like, did you do it? Grace giving givers or see giving as a growing opportunity Apostle Paul closes off, and he's pretty smart. This is no guilt. He's just encouraging and exhorting them. He says, listen, church in Corinth, as you excel in everything, they're pretty sharp, they're pretty sophisticated, they're pretty wealthy, they're pretty influential. He says, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also an area of your life that you just say, man, all right. What would be the basis of my giving? 
If it's not grace, don't do it. If it's not grace, don't do it. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to invite up a couple in our church. I felt like it. I know it feels like um, it could be taboo, but I, uh, to invite a family up that's pursuing a lifestyle of generosity. But I thought it would be important because the Apostle Paul talks about it. He highlights it. Barnabas is one of the guys in the New Testament, one of the most influential uh, guys, and uh, and highlights them. Um, and this would be the only message that we wouldn't do a testimony. I thought you guys might give me a hard time, so I've said. We're going to go for it. I want to highlight a couple that's been incredibly faithful in pursuing a life of generosity. Welcome up, Patrick and Katie Brown. Grab a seat, grab a seat. All right. So Patrick and Katie, they started a uh, digital media company up in the north end of the valley called Liftable Media. Um, you guys have been missionaries. You have learned the, uh, a lot in life. Uh, you guys are a young family, been a part of the church now, basically from the beginning, four years. And for us, that's a really long time. So um, anybody else been here four years or more? Raise your hand. A couple of you, four years or more? Just a few, okay? So uh, you guys have seen the church and been a part of it. We've had conversations about this before. Your company has taken off, gone through incredible success. So here's my question to you, Patrick. Thanks for being here and Katie for being here. How would you briefly describe your view of success, wealth, and influence from a Christian perspective? Yeah, um, so all three are things that uh, we believe come from God and they're to be used for God's glory to whatever level you have any of them. Um, everything, we feel like everything we have comes from God. It doesn't truly belong to us. Uh, we're just stewards. We shouldn't hold on to it tightly, but use it how he wants us to use it. Um, and I really believe true success isn't wealth or influence. It's trusting in God and giving him our entire heart. Yeah. You know, part of the hesitancy in me ha- inviting somebody up to share about this topic is because it's almost a teaching moment. And uh, Patrick and Katie, uh, have a, you guys have got a, a ferocious commitment to biblical principles and uh, doctrinal truth. And I'm so appreciative of that, how it shapes your theology of stewardship and all, and all that. So here's the second question. Why do you believe it's important to live out a life of generosity um, and as a married couple? Hi. Um, we believe that it's important to live generously for a few reasons. Um, the first being that God has commanded it, um, which if he commands something, we feel like we should do it. Um, it also keeps us grounded and relying on God um, instead of trying to use money for our own sense of security um, so that God is our security instead of our finances, whatever they may be. Um, and also it's just really fun and it's a blessing to see the way that um, God uses it to help other people and God uses it to help the church and um, it just gives us joy to give. Um, and then um, one of the things that Ryan asked us was whether we're always on the same page about our giving. Um, and both of us really believe strongly about generosity, um, but there are times that one of us is feeling more generous than the other, and the other one is feeling fearful. Um, and so we help encourage each other towards generosity, and um, it's pretty amazing how God has made it so that if I'm feeling fearful, Patrick is almost always feeling generous. And if Patrick is feeling fearful, I'm almost always feeling generous. So God has really given us grace um, for that. 
And you guys, I mean, tell, tell me about that time when you guys were, you were missionaries in Vietnam, didn't have a lot, and you were tested on that issue of generosity. Um, so uh, a year after we were married, we went to Vietnam for a year as missionaries, um, and we were support funded, um, but we actually didn't even reach our full support amount, and so we spent a lot of our own money um, for living expenses while we were there, but we still um, really felt convicted that we should be tithing whatever it was that God did um, give us at that time, and so um, we did still tithe, and we used it um, to help some friends of ours, um, some Vietnamese friends of ours, and it was very incredible the way that God used the little amount of money that we could give um, and the way that it blessed them, Um, but it was definitely hard to know that we weren't even making enough to live on, but that we would still give. That's great. One of the questions that you guys have asked me in the past is, where should I give? Like, where should I give the majority of my giving? And I just pass that question on to you guys. What would, what, how would you respond to that? So um, we do give to the local church. Um, and uh, we feel like God has called us here. Um, and we also believe God is uh, wants us to, uh, you know, Christians to support and tithe to the local church. Um, uh, beyond that, we we believe the local church is the best single way of sharing and showing God's love in a local community, and that's been that way since the time of Jesus, pretty much. It's um, you know, there are great ministry organizations out there, um, but I, I don't think anything can compare to the local church in terms of the impact it's had, um, you know, for two thousand years. Um, to us, giving is a ministry, and we see it as a way to serve the local church. Uh, we spent a year, like, like uh, Katie said, in, as missionaries in Vietnam, and we were supported financially, so we've seen it from the other side. Um, those who gave were instrumental in making our ministry possible. Uh, we wouldn't have been able to do it without them. And um, the church has financial needs, and we see our giving as a way to help the church focus on ministry instead of having to think about finances. Um, we do give our tithe to the general fund uh, we, because we are giving back the money that God has put in our hands. Uh, we, it's kind of letting it go. We're not saying where it's going to go. Um, we're trusting the church leaders um, to use money well and where they see fit as led by the Holy Spirit. Um, so after that, we, we do like giving to the Mercy Fund, um, which is for people in need in the church, like who have real financial needs. Um, and the area of influence campaign, which is the property. Um, and we, we also do uh, like to give outside of the church to missionaries, to ministry organizations, and, um, and people we, we know and need. So have you guys ever come to a place where it's incredibly difficult for you to give, as we talked about today, that, uh, that shortage in the, in, and, and all that? Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so our, our year in Vietnam... Um, where we were supported, but also using our own finances um, was the beginning of a year of our personal savings just kind of going down, 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 down. Um, When we got back, we had our first child um, just a few months after we got back. And um, then I had some really serious health um, issues um, and they were expensive. Um, And so... um, our savings were going down, and we hadn't at that point found North Valley yet, um, and so we didn't have our our local church. So we were saving up our tithe um, 
till we figured out what God wanted us to do with it. Um, and um, at the end of that year, um, we pretty much ended up having very little savings besides what we had saved up for the tithe. Um, and we knew a couple, some of our really good friends, um, who needed help adopting, kind of like what you were talking about. Um, and we felt like we should give the money that we had saved up. Um, but that was probably one of the hardest times for us because once we gave it, we didn't really have much left. Um, and But God has really blessed it. Um, that baby they adopt is actually turning three today. Um, we're going to his party today? later. Yeah. Um, oh, man. And so, so it's cool. just really cool to see one of the times where we knew that that money was God's. And we set it aside, but it, it just kind of floated in our in our account for a while. Um, and it was hard to give it, but we see, every time we see this family, we see the results of, of doing that. Yeah. So. That's so yeah. cool to see that. You know, and that's like a way, that's that partnership. It's like when you partner with somebody and what God's doing, and you know, you, you know, like with the adoption or the foster, you might not be able to do that. Again, like for me, I, I, we can't take on, I don't have the bandwidth right now to take on another child. <laughs> But I can partner with somebody to do that and share in that blessing and doing that. That's really cool. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so, you know, since then, uh, like, you know, we we pretty much had no savings at that point. We Since then, it's it's been amazing. We've been really, you know, we've been blessed financially with this, the business and everything. Um, but we've really tried to make sure our money is glorifying God, not ourselves. Um, and, and we're not there yet. I mean, we try, you know, we just like you were saying, like, we're not there yet. Um, we, we, try, we actually try to give until we feel uncomfortable and anxious in, the, in a way that we were relying on money um, for our, you know, because that drives us to rely on God. Um, and uh, he's, he's always taking care of our needs, um, but we're constantly tempted to rely on money instead of him. Um, and we don't always succeed in that. Um, and we need constant reminder um, and the Bible actually has a lot of warnings for those who, who have money. It's actually a, kind of a dangerous place to be for your heart. Um, you know, Jesus says, you know, it's, it's easier than a, you know, for a camel, you know, to go through the, or the eye, of, eye of a needle than a rich person to go to heaven. And so, I mean, that's, that's some serious business um, because relying on money, it's, it's we, uh, you know, it's something that we all kind of gravitate towards and it's security it's like okay i've got this and i and i can um i can rely on that for the future and we really like uh like the people in Is- israel relying on they could only collect manna one day if they collected more than their needs for that day it rotted away um i mean they could only re- they had to rely on god and that's that's where we want to be and we're not there yet <laughs> absolutely but we really try to be well, you guys have served faithfully and uh, helped out in so many different areas, from doing, being an usher, guest services with kids, and serving and uh, being a part of uh, the church and, and giving and partnering with us, and we're so thankful for you. Um, can we celebrate them for a moment and just say thank you? Yeah. Let me, uh, let me pray, uh, and I'll invite the worship team up. Lord, thank you for this couple. Thank you for the many more couples in our church and families that just want to partner together and uh, see your work be done. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the foundation of grace and the clarity of Scripture. Um, we love you and give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.
Well, hey, guys. Yeah, you can clap one more time. It's fine. Yeah. Um, in just a minute, I'm going to invite Pastor Jonathan up and lead us in a time of communion. But here's the takeaway I want to encourage you to think about um, where you're at is um, some of you just need to take that next step. I want to encourage you to, uh, to really, um, maybe you've given nothing over the years at, uh, in a church or whatever. Um, and I want to encourage you to take that next step. Um, there on your program, you can see right there um, some of those next steps. I've got them right here is taking the next step from moving from nothing to something. Um, and those of you that are already contributing something, I want to encourage you to move towards significance, uh, giving significantly. And that's an area and category where I'm at too. And uh, I want to pray and, and seek the Lord on it and trust Him for it and uh, see this church continue to thrive and flourish. Um, so let's invite Pastor Jonathan up in the time of, uh, of communion. Hey family, we are going to continue our time of worship this morning through communion. Communion is a time for those who've placed their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord to remember the price that he paid on the cross. The grace of God was giving the gift of his son to us on our behalf. So as the communion elements are passed, we have them stacked together. In the bottom is the bread representing Christ's body and in the top is a grape juice representing Christ's blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. So as the elements are coming your way this morning, listen, if you're, there's absolutely no pressure to participate in communion, but this is a time to spend in some moments in uh, reflection and prayer. So the band's gonna lead us. Um, we'll have some scriptures on the screens for you. And then you take the communion elements as you're ready. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.